All good. I think we're good, huh? I think I need a little bit more volume in mine. That's good. Yeah. I like you deep in my ears, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any intros here if you haven't let's, noticed anything. Let's leave it with the ears. Yes. Uh, guys, welcome to this one time. Today, I am graced by the talented Alex Coliani. 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 Uh, chef, um, father, marathon runner. Yes. Just the uh, ultimate savage and an inspiration to myself, which is how you find yourself in this seat today. It, it's an honor. I appreciate you having me. Get out of here, man. Thanks for uh, setting some time aside. And um, we found this lovely spot, SO Coffee in downtown very Phoenix. Nice. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Very cool spot. Thanks for the latte. And, My pleasure. Uh, you got a latte to say. <laughs> uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, so uh, I met you. Um, running my first Ragnar. Was that your yeah. first Ragnar? My first and my last. And you're like, <laughs> we were talking about that. How I just ran my first half marathon, and I, I, I don't think I can do the pavement. And when you were running the trails at Ragnar, you were like praying for pavement. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm a road runner. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we met there, part of F3, uh, the workout group mm -hmm. um, that's found nationwide and now international. Um, and you, we started talking food. Yep. And then you also, you know, we're there to run races and you had dropped this bomb on me that you ran your first marathon at 50 years old. 53. 50. I started, <laughs> I started training for them at 50. You're a smart man. See, that, my, I would have been like, oh, I'm training for a marathon next month. But you started training and three years out, you, you well, did that one. When you, if you wait till you're 50 to start, you need three years. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it in a few months. Yeah. I need three years. And I just don't do it. Um, so first off wow right wow so what pushed you to run your first marathon is or to even start training at 50 to run a marathon um a photo of me with mm -hmm. my son mm -hmm. uh his senior year of high school and i didn't recognize it was in the photo oh wow um that feeling so uh, uh I'm from a generation of pre-cell phones, so we didn't have pictures of ourselves around all the time. Yeah. And the rare time that a picture would be taken of me and get, you know, developed and eventually come back in a little packet of photos, I, I was rarely the person in the photos. So I didn't see myself much true. from 18 years old till I was 50. I don't like mirrors. I don't look at myself <laughs> a lot. And uh, that's, it was just a striking moment. Because it was a cell phone photo. Yeah. And I had no idea who the person was standing next to my son. Damn. Um, the expression on my face, the look of me, the way I carried myself, and I was 280 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the last time I remembered what I looked like, quote unquote, yeah. I was 18, I was 180 pounds, <laughs> I was about to go off to the Navy, and that was it. That was literally, it was almost like I hadn't seen myself in 40 wow. years. And that's kind of said, it speaks to how men kind of view themselves. Like, we all view ourselves at the, the our most virile and, uh, like, healthy, like... Yeah, that's that. That was me when I was eighteen. So that's why that's I it? I that's tell it. myself, oh, oh, I'm gonna run a marathon. Yeah, I'll run it next month because <laughs> we we just live on those and we now, want we want to pretend that we still look that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all the high school football stories that you know people talk about. You know mm -hmm. that they reminisce on. That's literally. It. I mean, some people do peak at high school. Um, so you saw yourself at your own son's high school graduation. Right. And you're like, for one, you didn't like the way you looked, but also a part of you 
said how you were standing and like what your facial expression well, was. I, yeah, the, what I was projecting about happiness and yeah. contentment and everything. The whole package mm-hmm. was not what I wanted to look like at 50. Yeah. Yeah. So all of it, I, I, I attacked all of it. And, and you're also looking at it through the lens of modern day 50 year olds. Like you guys are different than your parents, 50 <laughs> yeah. year olds, you know? Yeah. 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 When you were 50 back then you were, yeah, I'm done calling it quits. Right. This and that. Not you, man. You turned it, you turned up the flames. Well that, yeah. Um, on everything, but yeah, that I used, I used a physical goal. I wanted to qualify for the Boston marathon. That was mm. the goal. Mm. Um, the most inspirational athlete in my life, and I have like professional athletes in my family, but the most inspirational athlete in my life was a friend in high school named Chris Dugan, and he was our star cross-country runner and track runner for distance, yeah. and I was a shot putter, and I would watch him, and I just thought, he's the only one working hard out here. Like, he's the only, <laughs> the rest of us are doing nothing, yeah. and and he was very, very good, uh, scholarship athlete for college and stuff. But that always stuck with me that the endurance model mm-hmm. um, seemed to be the the best commitment to fitness um, and longevity, then, the long game. And then, as all of uh, endurance athletics has changed, uh, you know, with triathlons and all that stuff. I mean, I'm talking about a time when the only people who were endurance athletes were runners yeah. um, and a few bicyclists at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was the inspiration. His, his running form, his image going around the track as I would stand there as a fat guy throwing shot put. Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say, you were 280, just, but you're not a small man. You it, got no, the stature. I, it, so, it stuck with me. So yeah. that's what I thought was getting in shape, fitness. So I took mm. up running. And the goal was to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And why Boston? Because you have to qualify. Because all the other marathons are just lotteries or pay and go. And Boston, it, it gives, it, it stands apart in the marathon world. Yeah. Because amateurs do it, but yeah. they still, they have to qualify. So it's almost like you've made it to the Olympic team or you've, uh, yes. and especially as you get older, um, that one, and it's just so historic. Yeah, um, for sure. But that's part of its, its history is that it's, it's unique in that way. Yeah, it's 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 like you have to get chosen, right. you know, for it. You know, you, you you can't just again me. Oh, I'm gonna run the Boston Marathon right. next month and go. Exactly. No, no, there needs to be a track record of you yep. doing it, right? And you have to run. So to qualify, you have to run a full marathon at a certain time for your age. Mm, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. It for, for the age right. too. So and you ran. I've qualified three times. I've run it twice, but I've qualified three times. When is that one held? Is it during like uh, the, spring or so? Yeah, April. It's the third Monday in April. Okay. Yeah. I say, if running, like, I just did the rock and roll marathon last week, and I'm like, if I was in Boston last week. Now I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna hold you accountable. For what? You were in the half marathon. That, oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, thank you for that. So I said it as, as I, I said it, and I kept going. I was like, well, I kind of glossed over that. Yeah, you thank did. you for that. <laughs> yes. Half marathon, guys. Half marathon. It's true. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about. I don't know if I could do the full marathon uh, on pavement. No, sure you could. I guess I just have to. I actually have to train. <laughs> yeah, that, you can't fake a marathon. That is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you ran it twice. Yep. Um, who did you have kind of like helping you along uh, the training, and then also maybe there for the actual competition? Or um, I mean, you're competing with the, against yourself at that point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 just people in your age group like mm-hmm. that 
one of the things that running is wonderful as you get older is that it, it can bring back competition in your life mm, outside mm-hmm, of yourself because mm-hmm. like here in Phoenix, all the 60, I'm, I'm 61. Yeah. So all the 60 to 65 year old runners, we all know each other. Ah, yes. And we're all at the same 5Ks and 10Ks and all that stuff. And it, it brings that aspect back into life beside competing against yourself. Yes. Um, and father time and mm-hmm, injuries. Mm-hmm. But um, so the first one, um, I pretty much train alone. I just follow a couple different professional runners programs. Gotcha. Um, I'm, a, I'm a solitude runner. I'm not a really, I'm not a group runner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the first one was 2018. And it was the coldest Boston Marathon ever. Oh, really? Um, it was 37 degrees with 25 mile an hour winds, headwinds the whole way. Jeez. And driving rain the entire time. Oh. Um, so there were supposed to be quite a few spectators, family members and stuff. And I asked everyone not to come because we knew it was going to be miserable. Yeah. And, um, but my sister came uh, with one of her sons. And a uh, funny story on that is... I was pretty delirious. We all got hypothermia. I mean, it was it was wow. brutal enough to be in the Boston Marathon, but it was brutal. Um, yeah. And I was going down Boylston Street, which is the last street. It's this famous left-hand turn you take. Ooh. The crowd is there, and they were there in that weather. It was amazing. Wow. Uh, all the way, a whole 26 miles, people from Massachusetts turned out. But I turned the corner, and I couldn't believe I was there. I was on Boylston. I Dude. made it. I was... And I was delirious, and there was a woman with about 400 yards to go, standing, shaking an Arizona flag, and I just kind of saw the flag and thought, well, that's cool, and as I'm finishing, I thought, how did she know I was from Arizona? And it was my sister, oh. but I didn't see her. I was so delirious, I didn't recognize her. Yeah, um, yeah. So when I was done and we met up at the, the family area, she had the flag. I'm like, oh, that was you. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I was so out of it at that point. But they stood, in, they stood in that weather waiting for me. And then the second one I ran was 2022. Uh-huh. Um, and just my wife came for that one. Gotcha. And we... we designated a spot that i would see her at the very end and stuff yeah oh god yeah because once you're there and you've you've gone through all your own demons and physical you know injuries that come along the way of running 26.2 miles you're just like focus on just get to the end right so that's good that's good to see her near the end and give you that last little bit of juice you know that one was i mean again it was second so i was familiar with the course i was familiar with the accomplishment um So I was, I, my headspace was a little more, I was looking for her. We, we had it planned and yeah. So wait, the first one you ran was that brutal yeah. one? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> then it's all like, it's a cakewalk that from was, there. Yeah. That, we, so at Boston, every year that you run it, they give out a jacket of different color every year. So, and then when you go for another Boston, you go to the expo before to get your number and stuff. And everybody wears their old jackets to kind of show, oh, I've done this before. I was here and whatever. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. an, it's one of the ugliest jackets they've ever made. It's an orange colored jacket, but we all wear that one with pride because yeah. we know, like, we we dealt with the worst one ever. Wow! And what it what it took to get through it. That's that's a bonding moment, which is something that those events and like the workout group bring out in people. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, 
Yes, it's a physical challenge, but you have to understand that you have to be mentally strong to get past the physical ad, uh, adversity that comes with it. And if you can look to your left and look to your right, and there's another person right there with you, you, you have a level of respect and an understanding amongst each other because you know what you've been through. Boston, because you have to qualify, the entire weekend is like that. Because, mm-hmm. And Boston is what's called a point-to-point race. So it starts, it's a linear course. It starts out in rural uh, outside of Boston in a suburb gotcha. in Hoppington and then you run a straight line into Boston so you have to take buses to the starting line from Boston uh, Okay. and as you as you all pack on the buses and it's 5 o'clock in the morning and it's dark still and you all look at each other with absolute mutual respect because yeah. you all know no matter how old you all earned your way into this bus you all earned your way into this race um, and it's and twice you did it because you're you had to qualify and then you had to get ready for the race itself too so it's a it is a really true bonding moment at that race yeah yeah wow, okay i gotta put that one on my list now it's, man yeah, it's like it's almost like making an olympic team like it's just you you know nobody cheated their way in it is true because i mean you do hear <clears throat> that you do hear like that's the big one uh, you know when people talk about marathons oh i ran the boston marathon boston marathon and you know i just thought okay you know it's 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 boston it's got you know all this history to it mm-hmm. glory plus there was that big tragedy that right. happened um so i always just took it at that but that's right you do i do remember somebody mentioning that that you have to qualify for right. and it, it's totally been out so okay i have to add that to my list yeah it's not well <laughs> but at, it, at 53 it's here you go i'll do it by 53 you got, you go. you got a while <laughs> um it's not the fastest course though because there are a lot of hills um yeah. There are much faster courses than those races have become very famous now. Uh, oh, London, gotcha. Paris, Berlin, uh-huh. Chicago. Chicago, but, I hear a lot. Yeah, and they're very fast. Um, so they get famous for their speed that the winners are running. Oh, gotcha. But, again, those aren't, for the regular runners, Boston. Someone just, just beat the old record, right? What, which one was that one on? I'm trying to remember. The guy ran like a... 20, uh, his first, first person to go sub 201. Yes, yeah. that's what it was. So there's yeah. two men that are the fastest of all time running simultaneously now. One's kind of the heir apparent to the uh, to the other. Both Kenyan men. Gotcha. And they both run 201. And one of them ran a sub two hour marathon, but it was in a controlled 201. And I just ran a half marathon in like 150. Holy crap, man! Yeah, Those guys a, are booking it's it. It's about 443 or 445 a mile. <sighs> For the whole way, it's probably the fastest I ever ran. No, one you've mile. never run a mile that fast. Never, never? no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not once. And they did it continuously. They did their average. Was you that you would have been a state champion in high school if you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I ran it one time. It was when I was running from the border patrol. No, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you like trail running. <laughs> yeah. Nice one, man. I'm the comic here. No, you're great, dude. You're a chef. Yep. You've worked in kitchens. Oh, so 35 years. You know how to talk shit with the best of Absolutely. them. Absolutely. <laughs> and a little bit in Spanish, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to. Oh, man. So, did that, did being a chef, and I, I, I feel ridiculous asking this question because to me, the, obvi- the answer is an obvious yes, but did that, how did that uh, affect you getting to your heaviest in the sense of. Oh, that? well. Um, I I probably, I mean, trust a skinny chef. 
sure. That means they're disciplined, <laughs> and, uh, and you want to, you want to eat in an environment that runs a disciplined kitchen. But um, gotcha. I, I probably would have gotten there no matter what I did. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I was heavy as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I learned as an uh, Italian kid. I learned to eat for stress. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, that was my comfort. Uh, my escape so I would have gotten there no matter what I did but it made yeah. it a lot easier to have a whole walk-in at my disposal if I was having a bad day right yeah. that's true that's true <laughs> yeah and a, and a bar and a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it what, was, it, what was your choice oh bourbon bourbon so, yeah, yeah but yeah it's a much quicker path if you have a, a restaurant and a key yeah to the restaurant when did you realize that you loved cooking that much um was going to college mm -hmm. my my plan so i was in the navy then started college and my plan was to work my way toward medical school mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i was studying primarily chemistry as like the undergraduate and i just took a restaurant job and 30 seconds <laughs> into stepping into the kitchen environment yeah, yeah, yeah. i was hooked wow it was just i it was not planned at all yeah yeah um, I cooked as a kid. I liked to cook. Mm -hmm. um, I, I made dinner for my senior prom date at oh, my house. Oh, like I made the dinner. Um, yeah, good flex. Didn't work though, but it was a good flex. Um, <laughs> but I never thought of it as a profession. And they are really unique environments. Um, so I'm sure for you, it's like the first time you stood up on a stage mm -hmm. and did comedy with a microphone in front of you. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. For people who end up staying with it and doing it, no matter what, something clicks when you're standing there and something clicked. But it was just where I was supposed to be. Yeah. I loved the chaos. I loved the, the heat, <clears throat> the noise, the stress. I loved the fact that they were making something that right then was going to be eaten. Yeah. Like that, that immediate gratification and validation of the effort, um, the creativity. But all that you learned in time. That first just moment in the kitchen yeah it it just felt like home and where where was this uh in california in cali yeah what kind of restaurant was it that was just a casual taco kind of place oh gotcha yeah. Yeah. and so i decided i made a commitment to like i knew then all right this is more than just this is interesting and at that point there it wasn't celebrity chef chef but sh some chefs were becoming famous yeah. but like it was you know pre-cable cooking shows and all that stuff. So um, I decided to see if I could work with a great chef. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple in LA because I was in uh, Long Beach. And so um, I got into Wolfgang Puck's second restaurant. Um, Damn. He was opening a second restaurant called Chinois uh -huh. in Santa Monica. And I had to work for almost three and a half weeks for free. Every day just went in and did whatever was asked, prep. Yeah because I didn't have a culinary degree. I didn't have a background. I didn't have, and once I got in that kitchen, that was it. I left there almost two years later. Yeah. Didn't go back to college and was the sous chef when I left. And that, that was the end of it. Dang. So did you uh, move states or did you just, when you, so when you left there, was it, were you leaving the yeah, state we, or? We left California, came back to Arizona. Then I was here at the Phoenician resort for yeah. many, many years. Um, I was corporate chef for a restaurant called Sam's Cafe, which was around the country. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that side of it where I was a, a chef 
like living out of an airplane basically for many years. Um, I've had my own restaurants, uh, owner-operator places, everything, hotels, everything. Wow. Vegas, the Bellagio. What's what's one of your favorite aspects of the restaurant business? I guess on the on the food side of it, like maybe preparing like small meals or like five course meals, like tapas. Like I, I, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's all food. I, yeah. Um, chefs who can sustain it. This is how I kind of because not a, a lot of people get into it, but mm-hmm. a lot of people burn out mm-hmm. uh, or it burns them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, to sustain it the way that you would look at it is you don't cook for you. Yeah. You're cooking for them, whoever them is. And in most cases, it's the people keeping the door open and keeping your payroll flowing. And I mean, so you try to figure out what the market needs, those kind of things, all the stuff. But in the end, it's all just food. Um, And you, I like making food that makes people happy. So Mm -hmm. if they want tapas, I'll make tapas, and if they like it, good. And then I did a good job. Um, they want a five-course meal. If they want so I've, but again, I've worked from five-star hotels to just yeah. casual dining, and it in all of those places, the cooking part is actually the same. And the attitude of I'm I'm here to make something for you, not for me. Mm-hmm, I'm not mm-hmm. here to make me happy. Gotcha. I'm here to make you happy with my skill. Yes. Um, so you can apply that to anything. Um, one, I guess one question is, is how do you properly send something back to the kitchen? <laughs> it's because you're cooking. You're, you're paying for me. So it's like, how do you send it back without? Because everybody just, has like that, those stories, right? Where it's just like, oh. Just communicate what clearly it is you didn't like about it. So, mm-hmm. so that the person on the receiving end can actually address it. Yeah. That's all. But Instead you're paying. of saying, hey, this is hot garbage. No, you know, but you're yeah. paying. You don't have to. You don't have to like it. Like, yeah. yeah, you're, it, you know, that's the exchange. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, We're hoping mm-hmm. you like what we make. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, like, first, the first line should be, well, I'm not going to take money from you. That's the whole exchange. You're giving me money, but I'm supposed to be giving you something you like in return. Yeah. But, yeah, as a, I mean, just be polite. And yeah. they'll be polite back. Yeah. I mean, they should be. <laughs> we all should be. But I think we're losing a lot of that ability. Yeah. I'm sure you get people up in their ways like, oh, I made it perfectly. This person no, doesn't you know. know. You, don't, like, yeah. you don't even waste your time with that. Ah, it, you just yeah. know it doesn't matter what you say. They don't like it that way. So how would you like it? Okay, cool. I'll make it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Good to know. Good so show. like a simple one is if your steak's not done right, you don't say this isn't medium. You just say, I'd like it done more. Um, ooh, yes. Because, there you go. Yeah. Because more, I, I, I get more. But yes. if you're telling me I did the wrong thing, no, that, yeah, so, yeah. different levels of pink. Right. We all prefer different levels of pink inside. <laughs> <laughs> all the pink in my steak I can get. I know. Same, man. <laughs> Juicy and then lather it up with everything else. Mm, man. Um, restaurant business, man. So as soon as you got in there, it just hit you in the face and you're just like, yep. this is what I got to do. Absolutely. I feel alive. Um, I, I do have a quote, almost reads like a poem since we're in this, in this SO coffee house, they actually host poetry here. Maybe I'll come perform it. I don't know. That's pretentious. Um, <laughs> but I have a, I have a quote where it's like, Hey, if you want, um, um, if you want to know the soul of a city, listen to its musicians. If you want to know the psyche of the city, listen to its comedians. And I break down all these things. If you want to know the, um, 
the work ethic, I think is what I said. Listen to its laborers and values. Listen to its parents and all of that, right? And then at the bottom, it's like, and if you want to know all of these, gather around the fires where food is being cooked. Absolutely. Listen to the chefs. Listen to the people who, who nurture that very community. All that shit comes crashing down on there. And that's why it makes sense why like people like fall in love, why there's always cooking shows. There's right. always something new, a new angle, or even that could be the redone, re- recycle thing, but it's a different dish. It's, 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 there's always a different aspect that brings it, that gives it a, a slightly different twist on it, but I don't think it'll ever go away no. just because of the nature of what food is. It's mm-hmm. nurturing, it's community, it's, it's everything. It's right. the culture. Right. So I can see how you, how you, it would have, you would have gone back there and just been like, yes. it is, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it it's also one of the greatest ways to not just the creating of the meal but the, the, the i can't think of a better way beside maybe ragnar to get to know someone is to share a meal mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. eat with them you know not not just eat for or cook for them but eat with them yeah um so but yeah i think i mean i do it now kind of in private ways i've i've retired from big the big restaurant world scene i do i do individual things and stuff and i do some teaching but the biggest thing i miss is the culture of the team in a kitchen Mm. um they're fantastic they're a fantastic medley of cultures and people and languages but everyone cooks everyone cooks everyone creates food all over the world with their hands yeah yeah and it's it's a common thing that you can bring together um and and like i said before i don't care what it is you're asking me to cook you it, and a lot of other cultures people are raised still cooking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. american cultures we don't cook a lot as kids you yeah, know it's know. just fast food fast food fast mm-hmm. but so the skill of the hands the the personal attachment to the thing they're creating um creating that with 60 80 100 like when you open a new restaurant yes and you bring together 80 strangers yeah and in a year it's a family Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and you work through that the give and take of that first year and who's going to end up being the family but there are no tighter families that get created than the big giant families in the kitchen Um, and I miss that the most it burns hot man something about that environment yeah it's go. It's fast. So I guess that leads me to my next question is um, what's the biggest team you were ever in charge of and what's the smallest team and what's your sweet spot? Um, and I know it depends on the restaurant and the biggest, food, I'm sure. Directly responsible for. So when I was a corporate chef, it was a huge team. But, I, mm-hmm. you know, the direct, <clears throat> direct accountability people that I contacted were mostly just the restaurant chefs themselves. Um, but the direct team, about 400 cooks. Dang. Yeah. Dang. At a hotel kitchen that was 24 hours a day. It also, mm-hmm. also was the room service kitchen. So mm. a massive staff. Going yeah. and going. Yeah. What's the smallest group you ever had? Two. Just, <laughs> just you and your wife? <laughs> no, 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 no. You shouldn't. No. Oh. I, I, I've never had that experience. So I, I can't imagine sharing that stress with the other stuff that you're already doing in the rest of your life as a married couple. That would be a unique partnership. Um, I never looked for a sous chef or a chef in a, in a wife. I I don't know if I'd want to combine that. Is there a famous cooking couple? I can't, Uh, I can't think of one. I, 
I, I'd be tough. Wow. It'd be tough to mix those. There's even a lawyer law team. That's the, the, well, the because, husband and wife. Because ultimately, though, in a kitchen. Now, I've known couples where one person runs the front of the house ah, gotcha. and one runs the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But gotcha. ultimately, a kitchen, someone has to be in charge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One individual has to be the final word on everything. Uh, so it's either the man or it goes out of business, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just mess it. Hey, so, easy. Um, so I think that'd be hard to share that. Yeah. I've never seen sure. a kitchen that works where it's just shared. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you got to have one voice uh, in the end. That's true. So two people, what were you guys cooking up? Just tacos. Just tacos. Yeah. God, man. Yeah. I think I asked you this at the Ragnar. And I was it a was li- a little was a restaurant li- in um, Long Beach, California called Salsa Boy. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. Salsa Boy. Were you in a little skirt? Dude? <laughs> Flipping it. <laughs> Dude, so I, I think I, I, I asked you at Ragnar, and I might have been delusional because you gave me some serious side eye. But listen, oh, I'm, I'm real this time. Is this um, is the quesadilla the epitome of all culinary expression, like that form? <laughs> Look at you smirk. <laughs> Hold on. What can't you put in a quesadilla, and what can't you? You fatten up the dough, and now it becomes a pizza. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? You hate it. You yeah. hate it. All right. Well. I- if if my last name was Montoya, yeah. I would hate the quesadilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we've reduced all Mexican cuisine and Latin cuisine to, oh, a quesadilla. Yeah, just put in a, ca- uh, or a, a quesadilla taco. wrap. Or a taco. Or some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah, you're mentioning this place right up the way that has like authentic Mexico, like Mexico right. the F. Mexico City, yeah. Food. Yeah. Which is different than we think about. Like, Absolutely. even me, I grew up, you know, I, I grew up Mexican. I'm still Mexican, right? But our whole idea of Mexican food is, is Tex-Mex, right? Is that the, the Either whole... Tex-Mex or Sonoran Mex. Like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, everything finished with sour cream and cheddar cheese. That's <sighs> true. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and the last I checked, cheddar cheese doesn't really exist in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does only, only after you drop it on the floor on the streets out there and you put it up and there you go. Yeah. You're slanging tacos with two people. Okay, so what's your ideal, like, kitchen, like, staff, staffing-wise? Like, where people, where you really kind of know everybody very intimately and, and you know, it just flows really well. Is there an ideal number to that for you? Uh, I mean, the closest I could tell you is a restaurant I had in, like, Jerome, mm-hmm. which was right. three meals a day, um, you know, I don't know, 20 tables, smaller restaurant, mm-hmm. um, a town restaurant, so everyone, we knew everyone, I mean, unless it was tourists, but we yeah. knew all the locals, we knew the employees probably all lived in Jerome, or at least in, like, uh, Cottonwood, yeah. and we had a staff of 20, 22. And that was like a big family. Ideal for that. Yeah. So do you, do you host all your like holiday, like co- the cooking holidays? Or are you kind of <laughs> like... I'm asked to. <laughs> you're asked to, yes. Um, and you're always booked. Well, I'm not always the host, but I'm usually asked to cook. Ah, uh, okay. And then you, yeah. you ask them how big their island is. And, right. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. There are certain relatives that have a good kitchen. Mm. And I'll say, sure, in your house I'll cook. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But I love holiday meals. I think Thanksgiving dinner is probably my favorite thing to make. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just, 
the general traditional one. Yeah. 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 yeah I get that. Though, you know, I've always enjoyed the foods that are involved with it. And as I get older, it's, it's definitely like something that you, know, you need to keep tradition alive in that sense and yeah. bring everybody together and nurture that. Um, <clears throat> the little cheat, though, from chefs, too, though, is that for the most part, the classical kind of American Thanksgiving dinner is really easy to make. Yeah. And people think it's really hard. So yeah. it's really easy to impress well, everyone. <laughs> well, the thing is, the, the turkey always gets dry, right? No, you, well, no, it shouldn't. So see, here you go. So <laughs> what is the surefire way to just knock everybody's socks off with your turkey this next year? Uh... Okay, very simple, because mm -hmm. we used to cook hundreds of turkeys for the uh, uh, brunch, the Thanksgiving brunch. Yeah. Um, it comes with a natural sealant. It's called skin. Mm. So you don't need to baste it. You don't need a bag. You don't need anything. You just okay. need to seal the skin as fast as possible. Okay. So high-low. So 45 minutes, a 20-pound bird can take three and a half hours. Ooh. And 45 minutes at 425 degrees seal the skin right away it's all brown in the first 45 minutes God. turn it down to 300 let it go for another three hours take it out it's perfect wow and you'll see the juices boiling under the skin yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah but don't ever open the oven don't put other stuff in then when you take it out throw all your other stuff in to get ready for dinner gotcha. so you don't lose humidity you just let it be in there if you only have one oven but it's foolproof you're that's telling it. me it's that easy. I might, I might take it upon myself as no, nobody, as somebody that's never cooked and really, you know, done something like that for, you know, so, a good group of so people. So easy. All birds are easy because they come with a, a natural sealant. They yeah, all have skin. That. Yeah. So wait. So what would you say is maybe one of the harder meats or proteins to cook with? Would it be like fish? Oh, well, some fish because it's. If you're if you're struggling with it, it's terribly delicate. If you do it well, it's wonderfully delicate. Um, <laughs> yeah. But fish is the one that requires the most finesse, absolutely, yeah. and certain types. But yeah, yeah, fish because fish can get dry really fast. Fish can fall apart really fast. Mm -hmm. You can cut it wrong. Um, you can do it at the wrong temperatures and stuff. So yeah. And do you do you find yourself partaking in lots of seafood here in this desert, sir? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's all readily, it's all shipped by plane now. It's all fresh. Yes. Basically. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'd rather go deep sea fishing and catch a fish and cut it up and eat it that night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, it, it's, it's all shipped around everywhere now. So as long as you're in, if you're not too far from an airport. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause I was going to say the, the follow up question is what year were you like, okay, I can give it a shot now because of transportation. No, it's, I mean, but I mean, there's some really good seafood um, shops here in Phoenix and Scottsdale mm -hmm. now. Yeah. yeah I, I hear good things for sure. Yeah. I don't get out as much. What, um, have you ever been like spearfishing or just I deep sea fish a lot? I've never spearfished. You have a crazy story? One that got away or <laughs> um, someone lost a finger? I, a lot of crazy stories once you go out on the ocean. Um, oh, yeah, I bet. I mean, I've caught when, um, when I was in the Navy. Uh, we were, I was stationed, quote unquote, but my ship, I was on a repair ship and it was, it was moored at an island called Diego Garcia, mm -hmm. which is literally in the middle of the Indian Ocean, like a dot in the middle of the Indian yeah. Ocean. Um, it was used uh, for, it was a British Air Force uh, air, airfield base first, mm -hmm. 
And then in Vietnam, it was used for B-52s to get refueled and go to Vietnam for, we used it. And why I sat there, it is chock full of hammerhead sharks. Okay. So lots of fun hammerhead shark stories of catching them, catching them off the, the shore, catching them from the boat, yeah. um, dealing with them once you catch them because it's a big critter. They're huge. Um, but, I mean, I caught sailfish, um, swordfish, tuna. My son, I, probably my, my favorite story is my son grabbed a nice almost 75-pound grouper in Mexico, uh-huh. and he was pretty, I think he was a sophomore in high school at the time. Yeah. Um, the look on his face when that thing weighed him down and watched him try to bring that up from the bottom, that was, that was fun. Uh, and watched him bring man. it over the side and how he couldn't believe the, the size of this thing that he had just, yeah, that was cool. Huge. But man. yeah, I mean, fishing out on the ocean is always a surprise. You mm-hmm. never know. Something bends your rod and it seems huge and you don't, no idea what's about to come up. That's kind of cool. That's cool. So no, you're sucking something out of another world. Yeah. Back up here. <clears throat> That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Um, F3, man. How did you get into F3? I got into F3. I was on an acting shoot. Um, we can talk. I get into that. But I started, yeah. I started doing that as I got in the last few years in the thinking about retirement. Uh-huh. And I was on a shoot with somebody who does it. Um, so for F3 people, it was a guy named Bear Trap. Okay. Um, and we were on the shoot together and it was a two day shoot. So we got a lot of time to get to know each other and, uh, he invited me. So I joined doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been very cool. Yeah. It's a good group of dudes, man. Yep. Good group of dudes. So you, you were doing, you got into acting. How long have you been acting at this point when you met Bear Trap? Um, I've been doing it now in the older part of life for about four and a half years. Okay. Four years, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, so we met about a year and a half ago. Gotcha. Bear Trap. Okay. So what uh, what steered you in that way? Where people were like, hey, you should be on magazine um, covers. I dabbled in it as a kid. Yeah. Um, during one of my first restaurant jobs in Seattle, I, I, early in my chef career, before the career started weighing on me, I dabbled mm-hmm. in it again in my 20s and got uh, parts in two like day parts in two films, Hollywood films. Okay. So I was on the set. Yeah. A Deborah Winger movie, a Richard Gere movie. Uh, oh. So I was on the set. It was cool to see it and everything. And mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. just kind of life took over. And yes. then with the weight loss um, and lots of changes in my 50s, uh, it was really my daughter who took it upon herself to say, you should, you should go after that again. Yeah. I think that'd be cool, Dad. You should go after that. Or Papa is what she calls me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I did. And when I uh, when I returned, moved back to Phoenix about four years ago. Um, when I got here, I just auditioned for agents and got an agent. And I've been doing in Phoenix. You do mostly commercial work, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. but some film stuff um, has come through. And my thrill so far is I got to be in a mafia movie. Since Ooh, I'm Italian, yeah. I got whacked, which was really cool. <laughs> and I got to work uh, the whole day with a true mafia person in Sammy the Bull Gravano. Um, Get out of here, man. It was a movie he was making, uh-huh. and he starred in it. And Ooh. I did 
couple scenes with him. Yeah. Wow. So I spent the day with him here in Phoenix. Yeah. Your different aura to someone that know you know. Oh, has it was lived really it. cool. Yeah, it was neat to send those pictures back to New Jersey with it's oh, going, Hey, look yeah. who I'm with. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was fun. How did you get whacked? Um, or is that a they, spoiler alert? No, no, no. It's they walked. They just. I was watering my tomato plants, and they walked up behind me and shot me. They made you a chef <laughs> <laughs> or gardener. <laughs> yeah, but um, I had a scene where I had blood on my hands too. Uh huh. And and when Sammy in real life found out I was a chef, oh, yeah. he built that into the script. So when they show me wiping the blood on my hands, and I'm asking him. He, he wants to know if he can kill somebody in my territory, yeah, and yeah. I have to give him permission. Uh-huh. Um, when he introduces me in the voiceover, he says, "Oh, that's Charles. He'll cut up a he'll he'll cut up a person for you." And then they show my hands because he wanted to add that since I was a chef. So. Wow, that's cool, man. <laughs> Heck yeah! But that was fun. That was, it was fun to be in a in a mob movie. Yeah, with a real mob person. I mean, a real yeah. McCoy. Yeah. Is it, where where could I find it on his website? Okay, on his Sammy website. the Bold, and it's his birth name is Salvatore. Okay, and the movie's called Salvatore. Okay, yeah. Salvatore, Salvatore the Bold. Yeah, keep that in mind. Man. I see you in there because <laughs> you do have you do have a, a a good voice for sure. It's nice and deep, and I'm working on it. Yeah, <laughs> I had a high voice when I was fifty two. No, <laughs> man, man, acting man. That's 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 an interesting one, right? Because you you have to. It's almost like. Not auditioning for the Boston Marathon, but you, you, you know the old auditions. It's, it's, it's a lots of no's, and you yeah, just have to keep going. That's been, I have, I've loved introducing it at this stage in life mm-hmm. because I think we get, um, I don't know. There's something, there's something nice about childhood, at least mine, where I think it's part of childhood where you can watch kids. I mean, some kids get upset if they fail at anything, but yeah. childhood is all about trying something and failing and trying something and failing and just, yes. you have no idea what you're going to be, what you're going to like. You just keep doing whatever your friends do and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we lose that. Um, we don't want to take risks. Um, you know, we don't want to hear no. We don't want to think it's mm-hmm. just a, a part of a process of learning some craft, something. Yeah, we lean into and, the comfort side of things. Yeah, and it's been it's been fun to introduce that again. Um, I mean, all the I mean, running can bring those challenges stuff, but it's been fun to put that back in and get really comfortable with, oh, okay, no, I got, I mean, I, I don't get almost any of the auditions I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we talked about it. We don't get a response. No. We don't get a no. It's just, <laughs> so, you either get the yes or just figure it's a no. And it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's fun to challenge yourself with that, challenge it at a new age. The other thing is, I mean, I'm not trying to be a star, for goodness sakes. I work on sets with people who are in their 20s and 30s who think they're going to be, and mm-hmm. I wish them luck, but I don't put any pressure. Yeah. It's just a, a fun craft, and it's, a, it's also an amazing craft to watch happen. Yes. So almost, you know, if you're, if you're a diner in a restaurant, occasionally, if you, you know, I would suggest, instead of watching the chefs on TV and think you know them, if you like restaurants, ask to meet the chef. And get to know them. Um, that's the real chef in your life, not yeah. the one on TV. The one on TV, I've been on those shows. They're acting, I promise you. That's not who they really are for the most part. Yeah. And get to know them and then ask them to, like, you want to peek into the kitchen while they're working. And the set on these, you know, commercials, movies, I mean, I just shot one last week for the VA. The, the amount of people 
and the skill of all the people that do the lighting and the sound and the, it's amazing. Yeah. All the, the, the it's it just it, the different moving components it, to make it's one, so cool to get to understand that, that. Yeah. So you were in the Navy. Did you cook in the Navy no. as well? No. No, I was. Uh, I mean, for the Navy, they call it a machinist mate, which was basically a mechanic. Mm -hmm. But I had a specialty. I was going to be in submarine service and in the nuclear program. Mm -hmm. And um, that that took a, a six-year commitment. And after a couple of the schools, um, I, I did something wrong. They got me thrown out of the nuke program, but I had finished nuke school. So I had... They didn't trust you with your finger over eh. the button. <laughs> so I had a... A funny combination where I had the nuke school behind me, so I was allowed into the reactor rooms, and I was very good mechanically, like yeah. literally like lathing steel and stuff, I mean, from scratch. And Damn. so I, for a couple of years, I was put on a repair team that we would go fix uh, nuclear-powered submarines and ships that had issues um, and fix them Damn. at sea. So it was fun. Wow, isn't that scary? Like, everybody thinks, you know, I hear it, and I know I know that nuclear is some of the safest, you know, absolute power we can use. But you just think about, like, nuclear, you got to fix it. There's something wrong with it? What do you mean? You're going to be exposed no, to this that, radiation. Most of the, the, most of the re, most of repairs had nothing to do with the reactor. Yeah. The reactor is just the source of heat. Yeah. From that point on, it's just a steam-powered vessel. Yeah. And most of the repairs are in the steam part, not gotcha. the... Not the uranium part. Um, they, but you do have to know what to do in there as well. Yeah. But uh, I never had to make a repair in that part of an engine room. Oh, gotcha. Those are, those are pretty dialed in. Yeah. I felt much safer on those than old oil-burning ships or, I mean, with <laughs> fuels and petroleums and flammable things all over the place. No. Yeah. Yeah. That leak. You know. Right. No. The, those, those, those engine rooms are tight. Yeah. So you've been on a submarine before. Uh-huh. What's that feeling like? Like you're just in this you don't tube. Know. You just... I mean, it, even if you're on a surface ship... Is it wider than this pathway here? The entire boat? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but even if you're on a surface ship, you don't go up and sit on the... It's not like a cruise. You don't go sit up, sit up on the deck a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so most of the time, even if you're on a surface ship and at sea you're just inside some part of the ship. Mm. So it doesn't seem that different. Yeah. Um, it doesn't move. So you don't feel the waves. Oh, it gotcha. That's an that's a odd ah, feeling at first. It's, yeah. it's amazingly still. Because you're below the current, essentially, right? Yeah. Well, I guess you can still get in, well, in a current. Well, there's stabilizers, though. So even if you're in current, there's stabilizers for the... What technology? So, Jesus. Um, but it's very still. Yeah. Um, it's very quiet compared to surface ships because mm -hmm. there's the friction of the water there's the movement against the waves there's the the just that giant steel thing flexing up against the surface makes mm -hmm. sounds um so it's very quiet and it's it's almost like the boston marathon of running or of boats yeah only the the best sailors get onto submarines oh, okay so it's a good crew yeah they're great people to be around um so i i liked it and it, it's very efficient surface ships have a lot of people i mean the, the repair ship i was on had almost a thousand Jeez. aircraft carriers have five thousand yeah small cities so towns. um <clears throat> that brings a different element there's a lot of 
there's a lot of people that almost at times have to find things to do. And in a submarine, there's not a wasted body. Gotcha. Um, so you're always go, you're always busy. You always have an assignment. Um, it's very, very efficient. Um, so for that, I liked it. I never thought about, oh, I'm underwater or I'm not, or it didn't, doesn't cross well, your mind. Especially when you have such a task. Yeah, it doesn't hand, really right? cross your mind. Yeah, there's not, there's not that downtime where you're really having to figure out, oh, how do I fill my time? No, you have your tasks that yeah, need to when, be executed. When they're at sea, there's two crews. Mm-hmm. And when they're at sea, you, um, you work six hours on, six hours off, 24 hours a day, forever. Gotcha. Like as long as you're at sea. Wow. You, you, you're in that pattern of living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you work, you're, you do your, your duty for six hours, and I was in the engine room. Mm-hmm. And then you get off, you eat, shower, sleep for a couple hours, wake up and do that. So you, you just get in this routine of life. Yeah. And you have no idea if it's night, day, doesn't matter. You're underwater. It's not relevant. Yeah, um, sure. Your circadian rhythm is thrown off. So it's cool. It's a cool thing to live in that when you head off into the rest of your life, you can kind of say, okay, this idea of daylight, sun, like the time of day, this and that, how much sleep I have to have continue. No, I don't. I've been in a different world and it worked just fine. Mm -hmm. So I can take that to this world and say, okay, I'm not going to get stressed out over this or that or that because I, I can approach it the same way I can just get in this pattern and be okay that it works yeah um, you were given a tool set you yeah. know to, to work with adverse um, scenarios to that right that and it worked out. great I mean yeah. it, I, I liked living that way as far as sleep yeah I started to really like living in like two three hour increments <laughs> versus one long eight hour were, the, were just the, the dreams wild then at that point because yeah it's at intense. first you you're, were like you're, you're sleeping intense for three hours yeah you, got, true, <laughs> you, get, you get down to the deepest sleep as fast as possible yeah. speed sleeper so but I, I I liked I liked the Navy um, yeah. I went to some amazing places I mean I went all over the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean um, you know, and I joined when I was 17. I was done when I was 22. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I wasn't far behind in college. Yeah. But I had been all over the world. Exactly. Yeah. And I had a, I did then. I still kind of do. I feel like, I mean, I'm not a, I'm, I would say I'm more of a pacifist than I am a military-minded person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But so I wasn't, I didn't put myself in a role when I took what role I was going to do, you know, as a mechanic, yeah. um, where I thought I would have to be asked to kill someone or anything like dramatic like that. But gotcha. I do think to make this whole damn thing work, our country, that all of us should commit to serving in some way, in yeah. some service way, um, whether, and it's, and the reality is part of living on this world is it sometimes dangerous stuff happens to us and we have to be ready. So that part was there, but in any capacity, I think it's, it's a good thing if we took a couple years and everybody did something to serve the the greater good for that. Anything that's a greater good than just their individual pursuits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I feel that, especially as I get older, so much shit just starts to make sense to me as I get older. But it's, it's, that's one of the things I, I also was like, man, you know, maybe I should have, you know, served because I always I always viewed it as a way out. You know, you you got nothing else to really go right. to. You know, there right. you there you go. You know, just because a lot of the people I saw go into it were just like, sure, so lost. I don't have anything else. Someone tell me what to do. Right. 
and and now it's like yes there's still people i mean when you talk about the industrial uh military industrial complex and all that of course people are going to exploit anything but as far as on the ground floor you serving your country mm -hmm. the place that you call home and your community right that should be something that is is really instilled and and we should we should strive towards making that um a reality because i think we would feel a little bit more connected to it instead of just uh, completely taken aback and seeing it through like a film or glass right. you know yeah i agree absolutely i agree and I ate some really good food all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good stuff throughout Asia that I, it was so cool to experience. Oh, man. Yeah. We've seen all those cultures and trying to speak Absolutely. the language. Absolutely. I was, I was glad I didn't go to Europe and stuff like where basically everyone looked like me. Yeah. And most of them were probably going to be able to speak English. Um, I, I went to some places where it was i mean this is 1979 1981 it was good to see it firsthand. So when stereotypes would come later or stories or you knew they weren't real. Mm -hmm, it's like, no, no, mm -hmm. no, I've been there. That's, yeah. that's not, you know, that's not that. And it, it was cool. Like I even went to Somalia Dang. Um, before it was a dangerous place to go for Americans. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it was cool. Yeah. A lot of places though. Yeah. Dang, that's all. That's off of the horn of Africa. Is that Somalia is, yeah, it's well. No, it's up. It's right up. Just uh, what is that? West of Saudi Arabia. Okay, off of the <coughs> peninsula, the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah. Hey, man, and you got to experience all those foods. Yeah. And, and I that, didn't realize at the time that would be meaningful later. Yeah. I just like to eat. <laughs> and you got to gather around with with people. Yeah, we would. I had a very adventurous friend, so. Most sailors, yes. When the ship pulls into the port, yeah, yeah, they've got uh, a wad of cash, a wad of a lot of other things, <laughs> and they just want to go have sex. I mean, that's all they want to do. The, the port cities around the world, where merchant ships and naval ships and brothels go, is built for that. Mm -hmm. You know, you got a three days off. Well, this is the city to be in. We can take care of you for three days. Yeah. But my friend and I would go. To other cities or take go away from the port city and then just go to these little just what we would call mom and pop places mm -hmm. and just have whatever they were making like the the coolest food um yeah. and it was really fun yeah what's really um cool. that would kind of would play into like these uh food travel shows like what were some of your favorites did you did oh. you even watch those because you're already in the business well those how's that work I don't, I like, I like some, I don't like the cooking shows. Mm -hmm. um, I do like the food travel shows that their emphasis is showing off the culture of the place where they are and not the host of the show. Yeah. Um, but this was before all that. Like, so we got to experience that and um, firsthand. We didn't know we were doing that. We were just 
two 20 year olds with a lot of money and who like to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and had a, had a comfort in going into places where nobody spoke English and we just figured it out. We didn't care. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But again, you just find once they kind of have their, they get the idea, oh, okay, you two Americans, we don't know what you're doing here and you don't know, but you're here to eat. Sure, we have food. Here, we'll feed you. And they, they're, they're great you know, hosts and the hospitality was wonderful and it was all perfect. Yeah, and to them, it's like, here's my opportunity to showcase our culture, sure. our being, our, our food. Right. And I'm sure they, they watch you intently on how you, you know, enjoy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Food. You could yeah. tell you could tell where they thought, oh, this one's going to freak them out. And they would get a good laugh after a reaction to the <laughs> texture or whatever, because they would know, oh, this isn't the kind of thing Americans eat. Yeah. Your yeah. palate's not built up for yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was fun. But um, Singapore was really cool because Singapore's an enormous port city. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of cultures mm-hmm. in Singapore. It wasn't just, you know, so going to Japan, going to Hong. I mean, Hong Kong had a similar feel, but certain places it was just all that cuisine. So, you know, obviously gotcha. you go to Japan and it's all going to be, especially back then, just Japanese. Yeah. Food. But <clears throat> in Singapore... It was so multicultural. Um, so in, in three days, you could eat Australian food, Indonesian food, Chinese food, Vietnamese food, um, Malaysian food, all different mm. stuff in one city. And, and it's top tier because it has to be to stay in business. Yeah, know? but again, these were mostly like just joints in an alley street. Mm. Like no fancy restaurants, no yeah, yeah, hotels, yeah. nothing like that. Yeah. Just little mom and pop places. What's a, what's one of the sketchiest <laughs> places you had ever been and had like the best meal that you could remember? So Where you're like, we I can't believe we made it out. Like no. walking in, you're like, I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it out of here. Oh, I got it. So <laughs> Singapore, <laughs> Singapore has these really dense sections of the city where it's literally alleys because there's not a lot of car transportation in those neighborhoods. Yeah, and most people by foot and they're taking public transportation. So they are streets technically, but they feel like the width of an alley. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. on both sides, the building might go up 30 stories on both sides Jeez. with like the laundry going between the buildings and yes, all that. Yeah, yeah. So we went down one of those and there was a little shop with only two tables. And they had a case that looked like what we would put pies in. So you go to an, oh, you know, a bakery place and the pies would be in the glass case spinning around. and you would, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in this one... It just had all these different things that looked like the dim sum, you know, the, the steamed buns. Yeah, yeah. But all different shapes and colors of the dough and shapes of the thing that was in them. Like what, what animals wrapped up in that thing? Ah. And the, on that trip, there were three of us. And we ate everything they had. Really? But when we walked in, they hadn't served anyone. And it was really empty. Again, it was two tables. And it was just... And we didn't know what we were getting. And so we just said, yeah. And they started bringing them. And everything was so good. But there was things on there. Like we were eating whole uh, animals of some sort. Um, they just were cooked for so we long that you care. were just and chewing through we, everything. Yeah, most, we didn't know half of it what we were eating. But we literally sat there for probably three hours. And we <laughs> ate everything in the case that they had made for the day. Dude, how are your shits? And they closed the restaurant. <laughs> like that was it. They were done. They had done their thing. <laughs> Um, but the strangest thing I ever ate was in the Philippines, um, and it's called balut. Balut. And basically what it is, is a fermented fetal duck or chicken. Uh, okay, they take the eggs, 
so eggs, chicken eggs hatch in like 21 days. Uh-huh. So like with two or three days to go, they bury them in the ground. Gotcha. And that's a perfect sealed vessel yeah. of acids and salts and protein. Gotcha. Right? So once it gets cold, right? So when the bird sits on it and it maintains the temperature, all the process takes place and it turns into a bird. Yes. But if you chill it. Yeah and kill that process then everything in there just starts to pickle itself and mm-hmm. ferment itself mm-hmm. and everything and so they bury them in the ground and then they dig them up i think it's months later yeah but it's sealed so there's no air there's no oxygen so it's not spoiled yes and you crack that open and well, eat it what's it smell like dude um and so there's a beak all the bones are soft there's the beginning of feathers yeah all the innards Oof. You eat the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all basically been pickled yes, or cured. Yeah. Um, Dang, man. That was, that was a leap of faith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. But, I mean, what we always thought was, well, they're eating them. Yeah. And they're not dead. I mean, this isn't going to kill me. Yeah. So, and just stop thinking about what it is. Just eat it. Yeah. Like, let it be what it is in your mouth, but don't project the... Everything else, the that grossness yes. onto yeah. it, um, and it was, you know, it felt like, for the most part, it felt like lox, like mm, smoked sa- gotcha. uh, cold smoked yeah, salmon. salmon. It's felt that kind of because that's what that is. That's just cured protein, which cultures so, had to do before we had for refrigeration. Right. Well, and that's all that. why that's yeah. where the history is. Mm-hmm. The history is they would do that so the eggs wouldn't spoil. Yeah, and they would have protein throughout the year, exactly. and they could just keep digging them up and eating them. Wow, right, dude. and they wouldn't have to eat them all at the same time when the birds were in their mm-hmm. nesting phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to prepare for all that. Right. We just and all cultures something. have that stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, Korea has kimchi that they would bury mm-hmm. in the ground, and yeah, yeah, just but, so good for you. But there, it was protein. It wasn't plants. Yeah, and it was it was interesting. Hey, did you ever go like hard, like either vegetarian <laughs> or carnivore or? Or were you just always a, a lover and indulger of foods? Yeah, I, I eat everything. Yeah. And I, the only thing I try to do now is just eat things the closest to their natural state. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. my only rule. Eat as many colors as you can. Yeah. Eat as many things from different places that they're made available. So eat vegetables that grow in the ground eat vegetables that grow on the plant at this height, eat vegetables and nuts that come from giant trees. Like mm-hmm. they all serve a different purpose. They yeah. all have different microbes that come from the environment that they're from. Mm-hmm. Um, eat the plant itself, eat the fruit from the plant, eat the, the, like as many, but as many things in their natural state, as close to their natural state mm-hmm. as possible. Um, so don't, don't buy a carrot if it's been peeled and cut for you and then frozen it by the carrot. By the carrot itself, you know, yeah. Because that, that, that can only last so long and still have good texture. Yeah. Where the other one could last forever and you have no idea how old it is. Oh, no. So as close to it being alive. Yeah. Whether it's an animal or a plant as possible. And, it's, and at an early age, I had a brother-in-law who taught me about colors. He was a biology major. and he, he's, His big thing was all those colors have different nutrients. Yes. So he does many colors as you can yeah when you eat in my mind it's it's the darker the color like so the closer to like even purple i guess like the better it is 
for well, you. better for certain things, but yeah. everything has, has. A, di a different thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, if you know, and now with processed food, almost everything is some shade of brown or tan or yes. like that's <laughs> no, that's my daughter's favorite foods, man. I just, I. My son's another. You you get a kick out of my son. He, you could give him anything, and he'll, he'll, he'll except chocolate. He hates chocolate. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, everything else. He'll he raw vegetables. Yeah, he'll go to town on it. He's he's a strange one in that case. It's a strange. My one. kids, my kids grew up in restaurants. Yeah, and that was good because we talked before about traveling with them. Yeah. Um, going out to eat with them, not being confined. So if your kids grow up in restaurants, they learn how to behave in them. Um, and they learn that the experience is kind of fun to be to sit there and appreciate that the person is serving you and that whole thing. Um, so that was, especially someone in your shoes that interacts with the staff. I would imagine you interact with the staff more than the sure. average person, right? Versus the average person is just sitting there, bring me my food, right? Where you, you might have a couple more questions, or and I almost or, always ask to meet the chef, yeah, if it's good. Like yeah. I want to tell them. And that's why I said earlier, you should see that person face to face and say, man, this was great. Or tell her it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they always see that. Yeah. God. And that's a, a funny story on that. A downside is when my son, um, I think he was probably four or five and he was still adorable <laughs> and the big eyes and the curly hair and the little cute kid and we were at a restaurant in downtown Phoenix. I won't say what it is, but yeah. it had just opened uh -huh. and we were going to try it out. And it wasn't, the food wasn't bad, but operationally it, it didn't open well. Gotcha. Um, and so he was watching me watch the restaurant mm. and saying, probably saying stuff to my wife like, oh, that they, they shouldn't have done that. And they put the bus station in the wrong spot and that's not working well and whatever. And that's just what I do. That's the yeah. nature. Um, but the, you know, the meal went on, food was too slow. And then when she came, the waitress came back to do the check back. How is everything? Mm -hmm. Oh, he just, the little boy. Off. No, he just, this little smiley boy just picked his face up. Nope. No warning on our part at all. And he just looked at her and said, if my dad ran this restaurant, he'd fire you. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So sy girl. sympathy tip was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was that. But they grew up in that world, like, uh, and so it's nice now because now they're in their thirties, and when we go out to eat, we still live in that world. Like mm -hmm. we go up to Vegas a lot. We go out all the time, and my kids appreciate it. They yeah. get it. They get how hard restaurants are. Um, the hard business. They appreciate really well-made food. Mm -hmm. um, and they appreciate the whole environment of the exchange. Yeah. Um, that we're here to respect you. You guys are doing a nice job. That whole thing. It's nice to, it's nice to go out with your kids when they're adults. Mm -hmm. and at least a few lessons they picked up on. Oh, and man. That, that's a good one. So you can still share meals. Bring a little tear to your eye. I, I don't like going out with people who, who don't appreciate how hard it is. Yeah. Um, don't appreciate just hospitality. Mm-hmm. You know, the yes. simple, simple hospitality. Some people like, that just like have here. A, yes, exactly. Just yes. The, the simple thing of a smile and a, 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 a actual interest mm -hmm. in, in like, oh, no, we'll try to make your your experience here nice. Whatever it is I'm providing for you. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, you've done a great job, man. Um, how old were you when you became a parent? 30. 30. That's a good yeah, the first, the beginning of a chef career takes a lot of time when you're trying to prove yourself. So yeah. I didn't want to have kids until I had a little more control on my schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So 30, my son was born when I was 30, my daughter when I was 32. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Those are good ages to be at, in my opinion, where you're, you know, almost pretty much got your bearings about right. you for exactly. a bit and be like okay exactly. now now i'm kind of situated you know yeah and you should think that out if you're bringing them into the world <laughs> it's so crazy a lot think of us it, don't think it through <laughs> yeah so uh, um where did you meet the missus uh well i have two wives gotcha. not simultaneously hey um my first marriage lasted almost 33 years oh wow um but was affected a lot by addiction, yeah. um, not mine. So, and it was tied to me committing to a difficult career. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So we met at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked in a restaurant together. Um, I got remarried four years ago. Congratulations. To my high school sweetheart. Whoa, full circle. But I, we, weren't, we didn't date in high school because uh-huh. I was too immature, too scared. She was too pretty. Like, so she knew I had a crush on her. Mm-hmm. I made that clear, but I never asked her out on a date. Yeah. Never thought I could. They never thought she'd say yes. Yeah. Um, and amazingly, so she, she reconnected with me on Facebook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, amazingly, we she had the yearbook from high school, and in the yearbook in high school, 1979, I wrote in her yearbook, "You know that I love you, and you know that we're going to be together someday, but I have to go grow up." Wow, dude! So it took me 46 years or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> so we're married now, um, and it's been wonderful. Um, she she had three kids. I have two. They're all in their 30s. Yeah. Um, we have five grandchildren under five, five years old or younger, mm-hmm. combined in our two families. Yeah. Um, and it's been, it has its own challenges. For sure. But it's been really nice. Like my, because when you start, when your kids are young. Yes. When your kids get old, you, you know. Don't, don't waste your time hoping they'll be a doctor or a lawyer or this and that. Yeah, yeah. Let them choose their jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and their jobs don't reflect you. It's, you want to be more proud about how they live yeah. their lives, not who they are, but, yes. but how they approach the world. Um, yeah. And so, for the most part, like our five kids took this change in their lives uh, Appropriately, In other mm. words, they were happy for their mom and dad. And they oh, did not, okay. uh, not perfectly, but for the most part, yes. said, that's what's most important. Yeah. This has nothing to do with us. You mm-hmm. two should be happy. And introducing these other people creates its own challenges. For sure. There's, there's exes and all this other stuff. Yeah. But, um, but no, it's been great. Yeah. It's been great. Her, uh, she has a son who's a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just ran the Marine Corps Marathon a few uh, months ago to honor him because um, he was stationed in Washington, D.C. at the time. And she has two daughters. One is a flight nurse mm-hmm. getting her master's right now, a nurse practitioner degree. 
Um, the other lives here in Phoenix. It's a mother of two. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the son also has two kids on her side. And then my son has a, a boy, Raphael. Yeah. And my daughter is married, but no children yet. That who you were splashing in the puddles with? Absolutely. There it is, man. I love playing with Raphael. Yeah. Man, they, they, uh, <clears throat> you find out that they bring more of the kid out in you now? Like the, the grandchildren do? Well, you're free to be a kid. Yes, yeah. right. I mean, if you let yourself. Yes. I like it. I yeah. like going, no, you're the parent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the play toy. <laughs> <laughs> I um, love it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's your reward after all these years of yeah. just trying to create, you know, discipline and, and, and uh, just, just trying to formulate a way for them to have like a, a good head on their shoulders. Right. You know, you know, have your own reasoning and logic of why you do what you do and, and, and in turn to make, you know, them happy and them proud in their own work instead of us like it's good for us to say hey i'm proud of you and that's what i try to do i try to say uh, i'm not proud of the accomplishment as much as i'm proud of your efforts that got you to there you know so it's like it's not the fact that oh you got first place or you got this right that's awesome this is what i'm proud of right and it's i think it's crucial well i think one of the lessons you learn as they get older Mm -hmm. is how little they learned from what you told them mm-hmm. and how much they learned from them watching who you watching. are. Dude, I just came across that quote, a similar quote today. It that, is. But that it. is true. They, yeah. they learn so much more about you, but because they're always watching you. Yeah, they really Like are. you don't think they're watching you or they're listening to you from another room or they're listening to you on the phone, mm-hmm. talk to another human being, or they're watching you interact with a waitress yes. when they're four, oh. or whatever. Huge. And, and you, you might only talk to them in a, oh, it's my turn to be the parent, I have to teach you a life lesson, or yes. I'm going to discipline you. That might be three minutes in a day. And the rest of the waking time, you don't think they're learning from you, yeah. but they're watching you all the Intently. time. And what you hope is the best thing that can happen is when they get to be 28 and 30 and 32 and they get to be a parent and you look and go, I see me. Yeah. But I see the part I wanted them to learn, like the part that was important to me uh, about me. They seem to have learned it. Yeah. And not because I told them to be like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be yourself. But know they're going to learn from that. They're going to watch you all the time. Um, and and, and my, my daughter-in-law did a wonderful thing. When she was pregnant with my sons, when they got pregnant, she did a thing where she reached out to about 20, 25 men in his life who were dads mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and asked them to write him advice about being a dad. So uncles, grandfathers, dads, um, cousins who had children, uh, a couple friends of mine. And she has that book now. And when you read through it, I wrote my thing that I wrote, but it was very common. My step, this, the, the gentleman, uh, my stepson, who's the lieutenant colonel, lots of people who were dads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the common thread amongst all these men from 80 years old to 24 was they don't owe you anything. You owe them. You brought them into the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You chose them. They didn't choose you. 
So they don't owe you a damn thing. They're not here to prove something to you. Mm -hmm. You're here to prove something to them. Ooh. You're the one who chose to bring them here. Yeah. And that's true. That is, they really don't. Um, people might say, oh, they owe you respect. No, 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 no. You'll, you'll get that mm -hmm. if you've earned it. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, they don't, they don't have to do a job that pleases you. They don't have to turn out to be the kind of person who pleases you. They don't. Yeah. They have to be themselves. Um, and a lot of us don't want to look at that because, really? but a lot of us, we didn't make our choices to make our parents happy. Mm -hmm. We just made our choices to make us happy. Um, but that's a, I think that's important because too many parents think the child owes them something. Yeah. And they don't. Yeah, the, they I don't. brought you into this life, so I have this. It's like, no, that's, the, that's no. why you owe it to them. Right. Right. And that was, um, that goes back to that photo. That, another reason that photo was so dramatic to me, for me at 50. Mm -hmm. Because my son at 18 reminded me of me. And I didn't grow up with a father. Like, my biological father was long gone and yeah. not worthy of, of even having... I, I'm glad he left. I didn't want him in my life. I'm glad he was never in my life, really. So, yeah. But there was my son at 18 standing next to his dad. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at that picture, I thought, that's not... Yeah. I, I, don't want him, I don't want my son to look at that man and think that's his future. Oh, yeah. I want my son yeah. to look at his dad and think life is good when you're 50 and 55 and 60 and it's fun and you enjoy it and you live with passion and you live a, a live life. Mm -hmm. I don't want him to dread yeah. getting old looking at oh, his dad. Exactly. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I, 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 always, I always go back and look at that picture. Um, that I don't want to ever forget yeah. what it captured. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 the same with you in that regard. You know, I was almost 260, you know, and I, I had my kids were just born. I think my son was maybe a year and a half, and I was like, man, I'm taking in all this information, listening to all these podcasts about health, and I'm not doing anything with it. Right. And I'm like, I gotta I gotta change. I gotta figure this out because I gotta I gotta be here later. I want to be able to run around you know, splashing puddles with my grandkids. I want right. to be on the jungle jump, be that grandpa. That's like, how is this guy still doing this? You know, but that's, that's what I want to, I, I want to be for my kids and right. for their grandkids to just allow them to live life to the fullest. So, yeah, we just, I mean, you referenced the puddle thing. So to share, I just ran a 5k with my son, mm -hmm. um, this past Sunday morning. And, you know, again, the way that it's evolved, it was exactly how I would want it to be. We weren't racing each other. Mm -hmm. I'm faster than him, mm -hmm. but that's not relevant. <laughs> like that wasn't even, it doesn't even come up. It's just, it's good that he sees his 61 year old dad liking to be alive. Yes. And living with passion and yeah. living with, you know, and the discipline of, okay, so if you're going to pick a goal, work at it. You know, he saw the process. Um, so he doesn't, and there's not competition between us. It's just mutual respect. Yeah. I like that he's tried to commit to it and he's gotten pretty fast and he looks at me and knows, well, I know the work it took for him to get there and that's cool. Yeah. But we don't, there's no competition. Um, it's just a wonderful shared, you know, 25 minutes of running together. Yeah. Um, and it was great. 
And That's it was awesome. great. Yeah. I'm glad you guys had that. Yeah. Oh, it looks like we might be cut off. Hold on. What time do they close? I don't know. Might be closing right now. We got the. F- we did get the light flash. We got though. the light. Yeah, as a comic, I'm like, I got one minute left. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, well, I guess we'll, we'll kind of end on this note where um, Forrest, one of the guys in the in the F3 workout group, the guy that brought me into it, mm-hmm. you know, he's you know what 56, 57, and he's approaching the year, uh, the years where all the male figures in his life you know, have passed away. Right. And a lot of, a lot of, uh, his friends that he went to high school with are getting sick and, and, right. and passing away and all that. And he's just like, I'm glad I'm on the path I am because he's, he's living healthy. I mean, he just ran the half marathon with me, you right. know, and he's, you know, you got 20 years on me. So it's like something to look forward to. And, uh, glory. One of the other guys in the group was like, just so you guys are also aware, like he didn't just wake up and say, Hey, I'm gonna go run this half marathon and do all these rucks. No, he's been slowly training for the last 10 years and and making it part of his life and making it a priority. And, and that's what, um, you know, I can look forward to because I look at him and I I look at you, what what you're accomplishing that, you know, I, I have a lot of good stuff to look forward to. And that's, it's a testament to this group, this F3, you know, yeah, I've, that I've allows been, me to meet all these wonderful, you know, hymns, as we were saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I've liked being part of it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it re- I mean, I know it was based, created by two military guys, but it reminds me of that feel yeah. of, of boot camp, of um, getting to know each other through that, yeah. like shared difficulties yep. that we all do. Um, but I really like that it's such a broad age range. It, huge. Because it, it benefits everyone. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm the oldest or one of the oldest every time I go. You're up there. I think Paperboy just turned 69. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and it's wonderful to be in your 60s and have something where you regularly share with a 20-year-old exactly. yeah. guy. Because you're not in their world anywhere mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless they're an employee. Yeah, you're, exactly. you're not in their world anywhere else. Yeah. Or, they're, or they're your son. But it's, it's great. It's great like that during Ragnar. We had a, I think we had a 35-year age range yes. uh, doing that all night together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great when you're older. Um, because it does keep you young. It keeps you young, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I have my son there, you know, when he was five. And again, up to Paperboy, who's probably going to be 70 this year. If he didn't turn 70 last year. Cool. I don't, I don't recall. But it's a great group. Um, definitely recommend it. Um, uh, people are interested in your story, following you, your acting career, chef, all the uh, other activities that you're doing. Pretty much across the board, Chef ABC. Chef ABC. Uh, you'll find me through that Instagram, Facebook whatnot that's that's generally i learned the lesson i'm supposed to have one (laughs) so that uh because those are my initials are abc so that'll that you can find there yeah yeah Yeah. and he doesn't cook you alphabet soup you assholes (laughs) only if you want it (laughs) (laughs) alex thanks for so much for uh for coming on you were mentioning a mexican restaurant should we hit it and do that my treat ah the man all right thank you you got it much love